the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Welcome indeed. That is who we are. That is what we do. Always right radio all of the time. And you can take that however you wish. It's seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this 26th morning of the first month in the year of our Lord 2024. And by my calendar, it looks like it's a free for all Friday. Mr. Scream is in rare form, uh, as am I. We have a lot of work to do today. Jack Windsor in a half an hour. He's going to be joining us uh, to talk about a couple of Ohio issues, including the override of the safe, uh, the uh, veto of the Safe Act. But there's more work to do. Senate Bill 83, which passed the Senate a long time ago and has been languishing in the House, uh, has not been called for a vote. Some wonder why. We're going to ask Brian Stewart, House Representative who'll join me at 1035 uh, about that. And uh, that that's a big deal. That is a big deal. As a matter of fact, I know that there are some conservatives who are very, very uh, frustrated with the pace of play, if you will, in the Ohio um, General Assembly on both sides of it, in, in all seriousness, because what we are talking about here is some stuff that doesn't, you know, we don't really have uh, a whole lot of time to wait. We got 90, you know, we finally did what did the right thing on the... Um, uh, on the uh, Safe Act, obviously overriding the veto, but what else do we have? You know, now we got ninety days to wait. You know, it, it's a very frustrating thing, especially when common sense legislation comes. Be when I say common sense, not common sense to the left, because the left, well, they're not sensible. They don't, they don't, they don't do sense. That's the reality of it. They don't do common sense. But common sense conservative legislation, when it comes down the line, uh, it, it it ought to just be done. Get it through and get it done. We have. Veto-proof majorities, super majorities, if you want to use the, that vernacular, in both chambers of the Ohio General Assembly. There is nothing the libs 
can do to stop us. Nothing. Do the work of the people that you were sent there to do. Stop giving the Democrats power and priority. They don't deserve a seat at the table. If they want a bigger seat at the table, or if they want more seats at the table, win more elections until you do. Then you just take what we push through as constitutional and common sense, and we get it done. But we continue to languish and let very important legislation sit. Uh, and it's it's infuriating. How, uh, uh, Senate Bill eighty three, Jerry Serino's bill, is one of uh, one such bill. It was passed by the uh, the Senate a long time ago, and now it sits there languishing on the House side. Some are saying that the Speaker doesn't want it to pass. That's why he's not calling it for a vote. Others are saying that the Speaker knows there aren't enough votes to pass it for some unbeknown reason or unknown reason rather. Uh, and uh, that's why he isn't calling it. I don't know, but we're going to talk to uh, State Representative Brian Stewart about that at 1035. And in between those at 1010, we're going to visit, uh, revisit uh, the story of J6. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, Pastor David Scarlett, who uh, uh, has been following the story of the J6 political prisoners for some time now. We talk about this on a fairly regular basis. Yesterday, I did a taping um, with uh, Tim Rivers, who is uh, a J6 patriot who has put a film together as well as a website and is selling two different books, Letters from the Prisoners, all proceeds going to benefit them and their legal defenses, but Letters from the uh, Prisoners in the Gulags. Um, we just recorded that uh, very, very important deep dive yesterday on Strictly Speaking. It'll air sometime next week or the following week, of course, I'll let you know. But today, Pastor Scarlett's going to talk to us. Uh, about a a couple of things regarding uh, what happened that day. Um, Matthew Perna, uh, Roseanne Boylan, and a police officer named Michael Byrd, the one who shot Ashley Babbitt in the neck and killed her, um, perjured himself, lied about where he was, and made a false radio call after that shooting. All of that information is uh, very, very important. And we're going to have that for you with a conversation with Pastor David Scarlett, the founder of His Glory TV. That'll be at 1010. So there you go. That's what I got for you. I've got uh, Jack Windsor, I've got Pastor Scarlett, and I've got uh, Representative Brian Stewart, and I've got you at 216-901-0945, Either one of those is just hunky-dory with me. Let's do our pledge so we can get on with the business of the day. Patriots, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and uh, stand up, face your flag, put your hand on your heart and join us. If you are a supporter of, well, all of the anti-American and unpatriotic things like locking people up without due process, like those J6 prisoners, if you are supportive of uh, allowing the surrender of our country's security and sovereignty by removing razor wire, federal agents removing razor wire, lifting razor wire to allow an invasion to continue in complete violation of constitutional uh, responsibilities, if you believe in those things, then don't stand and pledge your allegiance to a country you don't love. And you certainly do not have allegiance for. Don't fake it. Just take a knee and announce yourself so we know who you Marxist bastards are. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. For all. all right, so let's dive into some of the uh, topics of the day today, uh, and there are a plenty. First of all, FBI luminaries, FBI former intelligence officers 
are starkly warning Congress. The invasion at the border is exactly that, an invasion at the border. It's not just scores of people coming here looking for work, that they are coming here with some very, very dark intentions. There's nothing surprising about the all-out invasion that is taking place on the southern border, one that the Biden administration continues to gaslight us with lip service into thinking they care about and that they're trying to stop and that they really want to find a solution. It's crap. They literally, if they wanted to find a solution, they wouldn't be challenging the state of Texas in in uh, federal court and getting a Supreme Court decision to allow them to continue the invasion. But what's more important here in this part of the story, in a very chilling letter to congressional leaders dated just, what, uh, nine days ago. No, correction. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, nine days ago. I was right. January 17th. There's the date. Former federal law enforcement and uh, national security officials have uh, spelled out in complete detail the danger of the open border policy. They say that there is a strong possibility of an October 7th style attack that happened in Israel happening here in the United States and being committed by some of these illegal aliens. This is this is a game changer. This is something that a lot of us thought about when that uh, when the one illegal who uh, was asked by reporters, as happens down there uh, around Eagle Pass and in some of the other uh, high-traffic sectors, you know, they're asked, hey, where are you from and where are you headed? And usually they'll say, you know, Senegal, New York, or uh, Honduras, Chicago, or whatever it is their, their plans are. And the one guy, you remember it, we played it for you, said, you don't know me, but you will know me soon. You will know me soon. Very threatening and very menacing. I'm not sure if he's a part of this plot or not, but this is where we are. The former senior FBI executives are warning that, quote, wars and espionage and bombings and riots are sadly familiar delivery systems of instability, intimidation, and insecurity. The country has faced these and more throughout its history and is held together, though not without struggle. The threat we call out today is new and unfamiliar. In its modern history, the U.S. has never suffered an invasion of the homeland, and yet one is unfolding, unfolding now. Military-aged men from across the globe, many from countries or regions not friendly to the United States, are landing in waves on our soil by the thousands. Not by splashing ashore from a ship or parachuting from a plane, but rather by foot across a border that has been accurately advertised around the world as unprotected and with ready access granted. End quote. This is all a part of the letter. Town Hall News also saw piles of homemade ladders used by illegal immigrants and their cartel smugglers. Um, National Border Patrol Council Vice President Chris Cabrera said the cartels will send dozens, uh, groups of dozens of illegal immigrants to surrender at a border wall gate. Once a border agent is tied up with processing that group, two or three ladders will go up against the wall uh, outside of the view, and dozens more illegals will then make their entry and disappear into the night. These are the ones known as gotaways who don't want to be caught, who don't want to turn themselves in and say, I'm seeking asylum, let me stay. These are the ones who don't want to get caught and turn themselves in because they've got something to hide. Either they're trafficking something or they are on terror watch list. Bottom line is, we are in more serious jeopardy of violent terrorist attacks taking place on our soil now than we were before Joe Biden got into office. Signatories 
of the uh, to the letter include former FBI criminal investigative division assistant uh, director Chris Swecker, former FBI terrorist screening center director Tim Healy, former FBI training division assistant director and border patrol ch- uh, chief Mark Morgan. They note that the surge of lone military-aged men is particularly alarming in light of the Hamas terror attack on Israel last October 7th because as people, quote, who have fought terrorism, end quote, know, uh, that historically successful terror attacks invite mimicry and terror leaders intentionally cultivate throngs of young men possessing a certain easily manipulated personality type to carry out the atrocities. Do you understand that? They are literally worried about a an October 7th style attack happening to American citizens here by people that Joe Biden has lifted the razor wire for. The former intelligence officials note that while it's stark to say so, this is a quote, having a large number of young males now within our borders who could begin attacking gatherings of unarmed citizens, an imitation of 10-7, and at the behest of a foreign terror group, must be considered as a distinct possibility. We would be remiss not to call out this potentially grave threat in the most direct terms. The warning lights are blinking. End quote. So here's the question. Are you just going to put a piece of tape over the warning light? You ever do that to your uh, f- a check engine light on your dash? I can't see that, and I don't have the money to get it fixed, so you just ignore it. Put a piece of black electrical tape over it so you can't see it blinking anymore. Is that what we're going to do, ignore the warning lights? That's where we are. Democrats continue to lie. They continue to pretend uh, that they care about border security, but here's the bottom line. Democrats are pressuring Joe Biden to have federal agents seize control of Texas's National Guard because Texas's National Guard continues to, you know, protect their border. It is their border, too, you know. Democratic uh, Texas representatives Joaquin Castro and uh, Greg Kasar urged Biden to seize control of the state's National Guard saying that if they won't comply with what the Supreme Court said, uh, then you have the right to take over their National Guard, seize and use them for federal purposes. Now, I don't think so. I don't think that that can happen, but the idea that they are considering it and the White House is said to be considering it is very, very alarming. We should also point out something that it should be common sense to anybody who pays attention. Texas and Greg Abbott, they're not defying any Supreme Court order. The Supreme Court didn't order Texas to do anything. The Supreme Court didn't order Texas to take down their razor wire. The Supreme Court did not order Texas to stop securing the border. The Supreme Court simply allowed for federal uh, uh, federal government agents to cut the razor wire. If you look at the direct language of the order, it said that this cutting and removal of the wire by feds can continue. So the Supreme Court is allowing Biden to do some things to continue to facilitate the invasion. They are not ordering Texas to do anything. Texas wasn't ordered to stand down. They weren't ordered to, to remove their own wire. So they, they, Texas is technically not defying anything. The way the order was written by the Supreme Court, Biden has the right, for now, while they consider this further, to to have the uh, 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 razor wire removed. But it does not restrict Texas from putting more razor wire up right in its place. And you know who understands that? Red state governors. Because governors 
all over the country made a statement yesterday. And one of them, including Krista, or a few of them, including uh, one named Christy Nome from South Dakota, literally pledged that if they run out of razor wire in Texas, we will supply it for them. We will ship more of it down for them. So they can cut all the wire they want. They can lift as much of it with forklifts as they want, but a ready supply to re um rig it, I guess, to re-rig the, the border with the razor wire um, is is ready to go. So that is huge. Yesterday we talked about how it was extraordinarily important for red state governors all over the country to stand in solidarity, not just with a symbolic statement, but to go to Texas, have a press conference. We might be on the way to doing that. Because what we did find yesterday is that, yes, 25 red state governors have now signed a pledge to support Texas. And shockingly, it took late in the day for them to be added. I think I was up to 19 states as they were being tracked by Bill Malugin at Fox. I think the last one I saw late in the day yesterday was about 19 red state governors, and not included among them, Mike DeWine from Ohio. And I wrote a tweet saying, where the hell are you, Mike DeWine? Why aren't you getting in line with these other individuals? And within the next couple of hours, I did notice a message from Mike DeWine that he and we do stand with Texas and we have a right to protect our borders. Texas has a right. Every state has a right. And it cannot be surrendered to uh, a federal government that does not want to protect the border. And, in fact, not just doesn't want to not protect it, but... uh, wants to make sure that it is weak and it is insecure as possible, again, by lifting the razor wire, if that's what it comes down to. So 25 different states, including Ohio, 25 different governors, including Mike DeWine, have indeed expressed support for Texas. It's symbolic only, but it ought to speak loudly and clearly to Joe Biden, if he can hear anything anymore and if he can process and and form a coherent thought, which is very, very questionable. But if he can process things, he's got to listen to that very, very clearly and know that America is not with him. Not only are 25 red state governors standing like this, but 25 states full of voters are standing like this. Moreover, there are plenty of Democrats who don't support this invasion either. It's an overwhelming number. 73% of Americans, according to recent polling, say the border uh, insecurity is unsustainable. It cannot continue. So he needs to hear that if he truly has any interest whatsoever in being reelected uh, to, to the White House. He absolutely has to. So that's why these, this statement is important. I don't want it to just be a statement, though. I'm not kidding. I want Mike DeWine to get on a plane, and I want Kevin Stitt to get on a plane, and I want Christy Noem, and I want Ron DeSantis, and I want every red state governor who signed this to get on a plane and carbon their A all the way down to Austin, Texas, to sit in with Greg Abbott and have a massive press conference to let this show of force be seen. Sometimes visuals are better than audible audio, uh, and that's what I want to see happen. And I want them all to say, if you come... Joe Biden for the Texas National Guard, and if you come for Greg Abbott, you're going to have to go through all of us. Physically make a a representation of our feelings known. That's what I think has to happen. Meanwhile, yes, more razor wire is being added as we speak. Meanwhile, the continued pushback against the rhino senators who want to push a whole border deal through 
in order to get more money for Ukraine and then to allow more of this ridiculous invasion to happen. Uh, That pushback is getting bigger and stronger every single day. Mitt Romney and other Rhino senators yesterday held a little presser trying to push this horrible deal through that is going to give more and more incentive to more and more illegals to cross uh, that border. So it is being shut down. People are starting to find, I think, their their fortitude. Uh, sometimes it's called intestinal fortitude. Sometimes, and a little more colloquially and a little bit more graphically, it's called testicular fortitude. And you know what? That's what it takes. It does take a pair for people to stand up and to do what needs to be done. And these governors, even the females, yeah, the actual females, they're showing testicular fortitude too because it does take guts to stand up to this and to put their own uh, careers and their own reputations on the line. They're doing what's right. Americans know it. And Joe Biden and his, um, his open borders cabal, they're finding it out very, very quickly. All right, so that's the lead of the day. It's like seven stories, but it was all tied to the same story, as you can tell. Coming up, after the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to uh, Windsor. We're going to talk about the override. We're going to talk about an attempt by the Ohio Republican Party State Central Committee to undo the censure that was given to them last year, the Blue 22 who, who conspired with Democrats to overturn the will of the uh, House Republican Caucus to throw Derek Marin out and give the gavel to, to uh, Jason Stevens. That censure passed last year, and now the State Central Committee is trying to undo it and endorse. All right, 935, as we continue on this free-for-all Friday, it was just, uh, uh, I was just reminded, and it was made clear to me, that I neglected to mention that it is also Fist Bump Friday. So make sure, and set thank you for reminding me, in spite of Marianne's best efforts to not uh, get that information out. Um, it is Fist Bump Friday, so a virtual fist bump to everybody. Make sure that you fist bump and touch knuckles with everybody that you see today. And again, even if they're strangers, you look at them in the eye and you say, hey, it's Fist Bump Friday, and you put your knuckles up, they will reflexively do it, and you'll feel better when you're done. Uh, you're not going to catch anything on your knuckles, by the way. All right, uh, let's bring in Jack Windsor. Jack Windsor is the founder and editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network. He also is hosting a show in uh, Columbus on The Answer in Columbus in Bruce Hooley's stead. And uh, Jack Windsor, welcome back to AM 1420, The Answer. Virtual fist bump to you, sir. How are you? Uh, fist bump back. Super fantastic. Thanks for having me on today, man. I appreciate it. You got it. Super fantastic is a good place to be and a good way to be. Okay, I want to dive right into this. I am getting word from multiple different places that the Ohio Republican Party's state central committee is trying to essentially reverse the uh, censure, undo it, pretend it never happened, expunge it, wipe it away, whatever you want to call it. I didn't even know that was a thing, but they're trying to get rid of the censure that was passed last year of the Blue 22, otherwise known as the 22 Trans Dems, who um, essentially circumvented the Ohio uh, uh, Republican State uh, State House caucus, uh, Conference, rather, uh, when they were picking their new speaker, and they gave the blue, the uh, Democrats a seat at the table when they did so. Uh, not only that, Jack, I'm hearing that they're going to perhaps uh, endorse some of those individuals that most of us have said need to be primaried out for what they did. Um, I've heard that a few different places. What are you hearing? So I've had uh, three conversations over the past 24 hours, and I'll have another one this morning, uh, actually, to to open my show down here at 1106 with a state central committee member. And here's what I've been able to determine. First, 
there was a meeting a couple of weekends ago, and during that meeting, uh, there was an effort to increase the threshold required to endorse the candidate to two-thirds of a vote. Um, one of the primary folks who spoke out against that is Dave Johnson. And uh, Dave Johnson, I can't repeat it verbatim, I wasn't on the call, but Dave Johnson essentially said, I'm concerned about who can win races, not necessarily all of this other stuff, right? And I think even referred to Blue 22 members. Well, <clears throat> that uh, threshold passed, so it now requires two-thirds of a vote to endorse. Um, however, my phone blew up last night, uh, and a couple of people reached out to me directly, several people indirectly, hey, are you hearing this? So I made some calls, and what I've determined is that um, there is potentially an effort afoot to um, endorse some of the Blue 22. And I don't know that that will be uh, effective, and I don't even, and, and part of it might be to um, not honor or renege on the threshold. I don't have all of that figured out. I don't know what, uh, you know, parliamentary procedures and tactics these folks are going to use during their meeting. I just know the meeting is going to be remote um, by uh, by Zoom, which I think is a little bit troubling uh, for, you know, robust dialogue and back and forth. But, um, yeah, right now as it appears that there, there could be an effort to um, endorse some of the Blue 22 members who are up for uh, re-election this cycle. Um, tell me about the membership of the State Central Committee. Aren't there elections for that coming up as well? Ah, you know, that's a great question. Um, there, there are elections for that coming up. Um, yes, that is absolutely right. I think that's important to note because if, the, I mean, I don't know like how the timing of this will work, but in all seriousness, if we have central committee members who are going to uh, essentially abandon the role that they have been given by, you know, uh, undoing the censure and then rewarding those who uh, violated the, uh, the the spirit, if not the letter of the the rules, when the when the uh, when the GOP conference said Derek Maron was going to be the speaker. You know, if, if they're not gonna if they're not gonna uphold the rules, then maybe they're the ones who ought to be primaried out, if you will. Yeah, and and so that probably has uh, a bearing on what does happen tomorrow. Now, the last conversation I had this morning on the matter was that I, there is the belief that this is not going to happen, but you know, things 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 can happen. So I don't know that it is very likely. But I think there is a movement pressure. for it to happen one way or the other. There's, there are some in the state central committee who are pushing for it. They are pushing for it. And, and frankly, I've called Dave Johnson out, um, and he has responded not through me, but indirectly through someone else this morning and, and basically said, well, this guy's lying. Um, the reality is that Dave Johnson has said repeatedly, I just want the person who's most electable and that can win the, the race to win. And so, you know, I don't want to get caught up in all of this stuff. You know, he's also the guy who is responsible for changing the Republican Party platform. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, I understand where it comes from. He doesn't want Republicans talking about abortion, particularly in this election cycle, because he believes that that can be something that gets uh, the Democrats angry and out to vote in a presidential election and a, a U.S. Senate race. Um, and so, you know, he was the guy who pushed to have that taken off of the platform, if you will, um, or the talking points of the Republican Party. And so, you know, I understand that he might be coming from a position of, hey, if if we can win elections, that's what I want to do. But the hard truth is this 
This is about either you stand behind a principle of the party or you don't. Um, and I think they probably, uh, particularly in, in, in the state house, have a couple of seats they could afford to lose and, and still have a supermajority. So if, if there was a time to say, look, I'm going to pick a person who has principle over somebody who just, you know, has, has the polish and, and can talk and do whatever, this would probably be the time to do that. Yeah, um, you're right. Uh, It's a very frustrating thing. I do understand that abortion, at least in Ohio, has proven to be a losing effort for for you know conservatives and for Republicans. I mean, we got trounced in uh, issue one. Uh, We got trounced in the special election back in August, which was directly related to it as well. Uh, it has proven to be a loser for for whatever reason, and if they don't want to attach that uh, to candidates, um, I get it. I get why they're doing that, but I, for one, am I'm tired of abandoning principles. I'm tired of saying, "Well, just give me a Republican who can win," as opposed to a conservative who'll do something different. A Republican who can win, but wins by 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 casting Democrat votes, is 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 a Democrat. So what the hell's the point, right? Yeah, that's what. Well, Bob, we're seeing what a co-opted speakership. <laughs> looks like and and maybe we'll come to this in a second but there's a meeting on february 7th that's going to be really interesting by the way but um you know we have to remind people the reason that that the first issue one failed is because jason speak that jason stevens stole the speaker gavel and it created chaos and instead of putting the resolution forward immediately and getting it in front of voters and not giving the opposition time to raise money and to craft their messaging. And then one of the biggest uh, levers that people pulled in opposing that issue one was, well, wait a minute, you guys just said that you didn't want special elections last General Assembly, and now all of a sudden you're putting it on a, on a ballot, a special election. It just it looks bad. Well, that could have been avoided. If, if Jason Stevens had gotten the resolution through, it wouldn't have required a special election. It wouldn't have had to, to battle the the millions of dollars that came in to oppose it. And by the way, we have a threshold at 60% in our Constitution, and we wouldn't have to worry about all of these radical amendments that we're now faced with. Yeah, that's very well said. We're talking to Jack Windsor. He is the uh, founder and editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network online. Make sure you subscribe to that. Okay, um, let's talk about um, uh, something a little bit more troubling. We're all happy that the Senate and the House got together, and between the two of their votes, they overrode uh, Mike DeWine's veto of the SAFE Act. And now many of them are campaigning and sending out, those who are up for re-election, sending out messages saying, I was proud to vote to protect you know, Ohio youth and kids and girls' sports and, and so on and so forth. I'm a, I'm a good conservative. Look at me. But some are kind of hiding the rest of their record. They're saying they're acting as if this is the only thing that, that matters. There are a lot of other important pieces of legislation that languish right now, including Jerry Serino, Senate Bill 83. And it passed out of the Senate. It's sitting in uh, in the House, and it shouldn't be. And it has been for some time. And um, some are blaming some of these individuals from basically saying, I don't have to support this because I've already got my my conservative credential check bo- uh, uh, box checked for, for my reelection campaign with the SAFE Act, and now I can let this one die. Why do you think 83 is sitting in the House? Um, well, it's with the Rules and Reference Committee. Jason Stevens, Allison Russo, Jay Edwards, uh, James Hoops, Bob Peterson, Tracy Richardson, Sharon Ray, Gene Schmidt, and then you know a host of Democrats because the Rules and Reference Committee isn't isn't putting it forward. Now, 
what you will hear is that, uh, you know, the House worked with Jerry Serino to make some changes. Um, the speaker doesn't have the votes. Well, the reality is every speaker claims that they don't have the votes when they don't want something to pass. Um, I don't recall Stevens saying that he supported Serino's bill. He hasn't made any public statements that I'm aware of. And it's accurate that Democrats oppose it. And again, this is what a co-opted speakership looks like. This is something that Alison Russo doesn't want. And, you know, if you're Jason Stevens and the speaker or you're the whip and you're supposed to whip votes, well, what are you doing? You don't have very many sessions. This has been one of the most unproductive General Assembly since the Eisenhower administration. So I think there's a lot of smoke and mirrors going on with uh, with the bill. Um, you know, but Stevens has passed other bills uh, with a majority of Republicans opposing them. Um, and, and again, the whips haven't whipped it. And if <laughs> um, I, I just think there's a lot of a, a lot of excuses for the bill. Um, I think it could be passed. But, Bob, I, I expect <clears throat> that uh, it won't it won't come up on February 7th. That is the, the next session that they have. Only one session prior to the primary election. And uh, based on some conversations I've had in the last couple of days, uh, that's going to be a pretty chaotic meeting. And I don't think that there's going to be a lot of legislation that gets passed. That's troubling. First of all, the the whole calendar is troubling because they've they've been off. The Senate just got back, you know, on Wednesday, uh, and now they now they just have the one session um, uh, in the House session anyway um, uh, on the seventh before uh, before the what is it March nineteenth is the uh, is the primary. So that's troubling from a calendar standpoint. It's even more troubling again. This has been sitting there for how long? The Senate passed it. I want to say like almost a year ago, like like last spring. I think is when the Senate passed eighty three. Did they not? It would have been um, May of 2023 it passed the Senate. There you go. Spring, yeah, so last spring. Okay. I knew yep, it was close because yep. because I was yep. remember talking to Jerry Serino at the time and saying, this is good. Now we've got to send it over to the House. We ought to be able to get this done by the end of the summer, right? And, uh, yep, we should be. Here we are. The summer came and went. The fall came and went. The winter is here now, and we're into 2024, and it's still sitting here. And from what I'm being told, uh, it is not going to be called for a vote very soon. And you just you just nailed it or, or laid it out, rather. Um, it's either because uh, the Speaker doesn't want it to be called for a vote or the Speaker, depending on who you believe or the speaker has counted and doesn't have the votes because from what i'm told it came out of the committee uh, you just mentioned it i think eight to six which means two republicans voted against it in the committee itself so yeah. uh, if the votes aren't there in the full house for it uh, that stevens would be foolish to bring it up for that vote that's kind of that's kind of the other side of the coin yes um and and the, the nays by the way gail uh, pavliga and uh justin Pizzuli voted against it um, out of committee, so those are the two. But um, you know, the other the other talking point that I'm hearing a lot is, hey, this is an omnibus bill. There's a lot in it. Um, it you know, is it constitutionally sound? You know, here's the reality. Again, the House just overrode Governor Dewine's veto of House Bill 68, and Dave Yost already came out and said it's inevitable <laughs> that there will be constitutional challenges and lawsuits to this bill. Okay. So now you're telling me you can't pass Serino's bill because you think that there are going to be lawsuits? I mean, that's kind of how the, the system works. That's why we have a judiciary. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, a lot of posturing. But, Bob, I think if, if I were to boil it down, I think that uh, two things are true. I think that Jason Stevens and the Blue 22 will, will take their victory lap at House Bill 68, that, that it, they pass it the first time, and then they overrode the governor's veto in the House. That 
that's going to be their stock right there. They're going to go, this is what we did, right? Yep. Um, but the reality is I think that Jason Stevens is in trouble. I think his, I think his, he, he is in protection mode, and I think if he does too much to upset Allison Russo, um, you know, he, he could be vacated. And so, again, this is what a co-opted speakership looks like. Um, I don't know how to feel about that, uh, you know, to have it vacated. I mean, I didn't like what they did in, in, the, in the U.S. House with, with McCarthy, quite frankly, because I don't think chaos uh, you know, sits well with voters. And I think uh, the Republican support for this General Assembly, Republican voters, that is, would, would, would weaken if, if they do something like that. When he's up, I get it. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. And I don't know how to feel about that. All I know is that, uh, in fact, let me ask you this, Jack. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that the anger that so many of us felt for what was done to Marin has subsided in any way because Derek Marin is looking for an escape route? And by that, I mean he's running for Congress now. He's like, you know what? You didn't give me the speaker. It, this is the way it's being portrayed by some you didn't give me the gavel like you were supposed to the hell with you i'm going to run for something else i'll get out of here and i'm going to go to the uh, federal uh, you know go to go to congress if i can do you think there's any um any any anybody who was angry and upset about what happened with stevens and Marin? um you know that uh they're they're a little bit put off by that i would say that the vitriol is not as strong as it was a year ago I, I'm not sure how to interpret the, the Derek Marin situation. I look at it as um, there's a lot of concern um, that Republicans can take the seat that he's running for, and there are some people who don't think that J.R. Majewski can be the guy because the Associated Press has already tried to tear him apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the other Republican candidate made some anti-Trump comments. Great so, middle. you know, Marin is kind of that middle guy that people go, okay, we, if, we, if we give him enough money, if, if we position him the right way, he can win that race. And so I think it's more about party politicking with Derek Merritt than it is about him trying to escape. Um, but look, Mike DeWine, if he had been primary during the middle of COVID, he would have lost by 20 points. And, you know, when things got a little bit back to normal and then you, you factor in, oh, my gosh, I mean, here's here was Mike DeWine's campaign. You don't want Nan Whaley, do you? <laughs> like that, that's all he had to do. And so, um, and it worked because I voted for him, and I can't stand him. I voted for him because the op- the, the the you know the only other alternative was was Nan Whaley. You're exactly right. <clears throat> and so, but but he had a tougher primary race, obviously, than he did in the general election. But time had passed, and some you know voters voters sometimes have short memories. Um, and and the other thing, I would be remiss if I I think the thing that people will talk about, and uh, maybe I don't know if we have time to talk about this, but you know. Um, Senator J.D. Vance has weighed in and, and endorsed a couple, a few of the Blue 22. And um, I had conversations with his team. What I've been able to discern, Bob, is I think it has more to do with some of his uh, political team scratching the backs of, you know, other people in, in, in the political circles. And I don't think J.D. Vance necessarily strongly supports those people. But if you're a member of the Blue 22, you look at it and go, see, see, we, we're not that bad. One of the most conservative senators in the United States endorsed us. Well, I, I so, look forward to a conversation with J.D. about that, because if, if it is his team that pushed that and he let them push that for his objection, then that's a problem. That shows weakness. He needs to stand up for what he believes. And if his name is on those endorsements, then he's going to have to defend those endorsements. And I'm going to talk to him about that probably sooner rather than later. Um, Jack, go, going back to the 83 situation, 
I have a message here that I literally received within the last five minutes from Senator Serino. Um, because I reached out to him before the show this morning uh, since I knew we were going to talk about this. And here's what Senator Serino, the sponsor and the author of uh, Senate Bill 83, says. Right now, the bill has passed the House committee, and it has been presented in caucus by Chairman Tom Young in the House. We know we have well over 50 votes. It is just a matter of the Speaker putting it on the floor. This bill is even more important than I when I introduced it, given what is going on around the country on campuses. DEI is being discredited more every day. Ohio has a chance to lead the country with this bill. Let's call it. Let's call on the speaker to get it on the floor. End quote. Any reaction? There you have it. I mean, that's. And by the way, it's interesting that Serena reached out to you. Tom Young uh, reached out to me a few minutes ago, so I have a message from Tom Tom Young. Um, so how do you interpret that, Bob? Is it Jason Stevens just uh, not wanting to do what he needs to do? Well, um, it, it, he says we have well over 50 votes. This is what the senator says, and I don't know you know, who he's talking to or where that count comes from, but if that's true and the speaker won't call it for a vote, then that means the speaker doesn't want it to come up for a vote for his reasons and maybe reasons for you know that have to do with his partnership with the Democrats who gave him the gavel. Maybe. Um, uh, you know, maybe he's got a different count. Maybe Jason Stevens has got a different count. Maybe people are telling him, no, we only have, you know, X number of votes and uh, that's not going to be enough to pass. And if this is defeated, it kills it. Um, maybe that's the case. I don't know. Um, but what I do know is that Senator Serino himself literally just said, we have over 50 votes. Um, so this is simply up to calling Jason Stevens and getting him to do this. And if that's the case, then I would encourage everybody within the sound of my voice right now to reach out to the Speaker's office, fill up his vo- voicemail uh, you know, in his office, uh, send emails, and tell him this is what we want done. Uh, because it is it is inco- unconscionable, in my view, because Senator Serino's right. To allow DEI that per- that is so pervasive, as he said, on campuses across the country to continue to destroy the atmosphere of education and learning on Ohio's campuses, uh, telling to professors what they can and cannot say, uh, you know, if, if, the, if the diversity of thought doesn't, you know, doesn't match the... Uh, you know the uh, uh, the left wing atmosphere that's been created. All of these things. I just think it's it's common sense, and it needs to be gotten done. And if uh, if the votes are there, if the senator is right, then we need to uh, get on Jason Stevens' uh, comms lines and tell him this is what we need to have done. When they literally before they uh, uh, before the uh, uh, session ends, uh, before the primary in March. Amen. I, I agree with you one hundred percent, Bob. And I'm trying to look it up real quick. Uh, Jason Stevens is at 614-466-1366, so call him. You beat me to it. I literally was going to Google that. and then Seriously, I was going to Google it up myself here, but it's hard to type one thing when you're talking and saying another. So thank you for doing it. Give that number again. Area code 614-466-1366. Good stuff. Jack Windsor, uh, fist bump to you, my friend. Thank you for the terrific analysis and information. Uh, We'll stay in touch, obviously, and see what we can figure out what's going on in Columbus. Thank you, Jack. You're welcome, Bob. Thank you. All right. 9.57. We'll take a time out here. Uh, Top of the hour news is coming up. If you want to react to that, we'll have time for calls in a bit. We do have more guests coming up as well. We're going to figure out the right word to describe what the government and officers did that day to tamp down uh, what was otherwise, um, you know, a, a relatively peaceful peaceful event. It got violent when people had to defend themselves. Well, joining us now to talk about that is another J6 expert. Oh, he's not. I'm sorry. I thought I thought you said he was... 
All right. Well, we're going to be talking then. I'm told he's not there yet. Pastor David Scarlett is uh, the founder of His Glory TV, but he is also um, a J6 historian, I guess you would call him now, or investigator or journalist. Um, he just did uh, part of the rest of the story with Laura Logan, a 14-episode documentary TV series about what really happened that day, and uh, he's going to uh, give us some some insights to it, some of the cloudier events surrounding January 6th. If you think you know everything that happened that day, I can tell you you don't, because I don't know everything that happened that day, and I pay a special attention to it. I make it my mission to learn more and more about it. But the reality is, and I talked to Tim Rivers about this yesterday, the reality of, of it is that we have been given less than 1% of the 44,000 uh, hours of, of video footage um, that was finally made available by a judicial order and Speaker um, Mike Johnson has has promised to release all of it. He they haven't released they haven't released two percent of that video, like literally, less than one percent. We're talking forty thousand plus hours hours here, and they haven't released it. But just from the video we do have from body cameras and uh, um, uh, security cameras and people's cell phones and other things. Um, we, we, we are learning more about what happened that day every day. And I'm told we do have Pastor David Scarlett on now to tell us a little bit more about it here on AM 1420, The Answer. Pastor Scarlett, it's good to have you. Thank you so much for the time. How are you? Well, thank you for having me on, Bob. It's great to, great to be on. Okay, well, we certainly appreciate that. Let's, um, let's talk about this. Uh, first of all, what is, what is your special interest in January 6th, Pastor? Well, I was there. Uh, that day, I'm uh, I'm uh, not only a pastor, but I served this country as a United States Marine, and I went there with a group of people to pray, and that's what it was. It was a peaceful uh, time to pray and protest. And so, what you're going to see in our documentary, uh, exclusively on HisGlory.tv with Lara Logan, uh, is what I saw firsthand as well, and much, much more. We did make a movie on it too, uh, Nick Searcy uh, and Chris Burgard called Capital Punishment. Mm-hmm. That was out. Uh, that can be seen at hisglory.tv for free. And we're coming out with another movie called War on Truth. And with Lara Logan's The Rest of the Story in January 6th and then our movie War on Truth, the American people are going to see firsthand evidence that nobody's ever seen before that's going to flip this complete narrative back on January 6th. It was the biggest setup in American history. Let's go deeper there. And first of all, thank you. I did not realize you were a former Marine, so I appreciate that knowledge. Thank you for your service to the country. Um, tell me about that. The biggest setup, organized by whom? Well, we're finding each day, as you were, to, you were alluding to in your uh, before I came on, uh, you have congressmen that, now that have re- a- evidence, like uh, Representative Higgins, that there were over 200 feds in, the, in there, in that, uh, in the uh, in the crowd that day, I witnessed it with my own self. I saw people that I knew were not MAGA people trying to agitate other MAGA people. They were obviously intelligence of some sort, a three-letter organization. I don't know which ones. So we know that now in the war on truth, you're going to see How do you, how do you know that, Pastor, if I may? How, how do you know that? Um, when I was talking to Tim Rivers yesterday, and we, like I was saying, we did a really in-depth conversation, he said something similar. Um that it, that those who have served those in the military, particularly those with uh, you know intelligence backgrounds, you can spot and identify by their actions and behaviors who is legitimate and who is you know undercover. How do you do that? Absolutely. How do you tell? Well, a lot of that's training. A lot of that is the Holy Spirit. A lot of that is common sense. You just look at their body language. You see what's what they're really dressed like underneath. 
you know, their fake clothes because I personally saw them take BLM in some cases, Antifa, put MAGA over the top. These were different. These were these were people that you could tell that were they were it was orchestrated. They went into other people who were praying and they used what I personally saw, the Mike Pence card. They were trying to get the MAGA group to fight each other over Mike Pence. And I heard that three times. And I know all three of those people were uh, a three-letter organization of some sort. And it was caused just to get a riot to happen at the January 6th. Also in our movie on the war on truth, uh, it's just really scary. Another congressman comes out, former sheriff for eight years. His his office during Thanksgiving was ransacked. They put uh, they put in clothes like they were construction workers. They thought everybody was gone. They were going through his uh, records to try to see if he had anything on them. He also believed in this movie that they were going to do something more sinister, that there were going to be actually congressmen targeted and then blamed on the MAGA group and an actual taking out of a U.S. Congress uh, senator or congressman. This is and now we also in the war in truth uh, see that there are U- Ukrainian armed or not a, a military type intelligent Ukrainians in that crowd as well. And we prove that in the war on truth, uh, the same people who did it in 2014 in Ukraine. So this is this is a, this is the playbook that they used in other countries over and over again. They didn't think they were going to get caught. Now the whole house of cards is coming. As you said, only two percent of the tapes have come out. But what I what I've seen and what's coming, there's nothing going to stop the truth from coming out. Well, you know, and that's encouraging to hear, Pastor. We're talking to Pastor David Scarlett, if you just tuned in. He is the founder of His Glory TV, and as you just heard him say, he's also a, a for, well, nobody's ever a former Marine, but he's a retired Marine, uh, and he was at J6, uh, or at uh, the Capitol on J6, which we now know as J6. Um, so when when you say nothing will stop the truth from coming out, I don't doubt you. Um, first of all, I do need to see those 44,000 hours being released. But when you add all of that stuff up, where does it lead? It's one thing for the truth to come out. Hey, we've got a series of movies. We've got a you know a 14-part series, the rest of the story with, with Laura Logan uh, that tells this. You mentioned the names of a couple of these movies. Okay. But when does accountability happen? Just because the truth comes out, when does when does somebody act upon it and and uh, and justice happen? Well, first thing is based on our Constitution in the United States. When I was a Marine, I was sworn not to a commander in chief, but to the Constitution of the United States of America. It's we the people, and once we the people realize, because there's many people on all sides that are still believe what the fake news had told them. Once we get that overpopulation of we the people. Then we're going to force our, our politicians that we put into office to take action against these people. And what we, according to my dear friend General McInerney, has said many, many times, this was treason on the United States of America on the highest level. My friend General Flynn says the same thing. You know, it does sound treasonous. Um, and I want to talk about some of the other illegalities that happened that day, Pastor Scarlett. Um, tell me, I'm, I'm looking at an article um, in the National Pulse that says new January 6th footage shows Capitol Cop perjured himself, lying about his whereabouts and altercations with Oath Keepers. And I know each of these is an individual story that add up to a much larger one, but let's take some of these individual stories. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's absolutely right, that, uh, that they were caught in a lie, just like Merrick Garland was caught in a lie. He said five Capitol Police officers died on that day. We know that that's factually incorrect. No Capitol Police officers died that day from anybody in the crowd. 
We now know by Tucker Carlson what happened with that bear, uh, Revolver News, Darren Beatty, talking about the pipe bomb. The pipe bomb, we, there's video evidence of showing that pipe bomb at the DNC and the RNC Secret Service and the Capitol Police were aware of it, and they allowed children to walk right past it. Why didn't they take urgency to take care of that pipe bomb if it was such a threat? Now we find out that that pipe bomb was there on the 5th, sitting under a park, a park bench that anybody could see. And you know another thing they didn't tell us just until the last couple of days? The person who found it was an undercover, uh, off-duty, under, uh, plainclothes Capitol Police officer. Boy, that changes the narrative tremendously. I was just told to, uh, yesterday they have the phone number of the individual, and this individual is a known uh, specialist in uh, in, in, in that type of thing, in, in explosives. Mm-hmm. Um, that's astounding to me that kids were, were walking by that. And it's, uh, it's even more astounding that, um, nobody did anything about it. Like you said, um, tell me again, just looking at each individual story to try to piece things together. Tell me what happened to Roseanne Boylan. Um, I, I see it as being, reported and in fact in the movie that i watched last night about this um it essentially described her death as being a trampling death she was basically you know overwhelmed fell to the ground it was was stomped on and trampled on and so forth by a massive crowd others have said no they beat her to death with batons police officers did what happened to roseanne borland that you can tell us that we can see in this series well just to jump to another one, Victoria White. They did beat her over 30 times. She almost took her own life. That's in also the rest of the story with Lara Logan. Okay. Uh, she was mentally a breakdown. It, it's just horrible. That is physical. She's now filed a, a lawsuit against the Capitol Police. But back to Roseanne Boylan. That, uh, she was trampled. But in the videos that we will show you, the Capitol Police literally dragged her when she needed support to save her life, dragged her as a cow, like a cow, like an animal, through the Capitol and didn't have any sense of urgency to try to save her life. It's on their hands. Yeah, I um, I watched um, with great dismay that portion of this. The movie I watched last night, by the way, and there are a lot of them out there. There are a lot of truth tellers out there trying to you know clear the record and correct the record. Uh, but this one is called J6, A True Timeline. And it's uh, it's been put out, like I said, by a, by another organization very similar to what you are doing, uh, and they're trying to bring the, the the reality of this. And I asked him, Tim Rivers, yesterday something I want to ask you about now too. Those who lost their lives not that day, but in the aftermath, like Matthew Perna, because of what he was facing and what they tried to do to him. Can you give us a summary of Matthew Perna? Yeah, that's a great example. He, uh, you know, he tried to do the right thing and support his his country. They put so much pressure on him and his family, you know, at Lou through lawfare. This has been uh, uncovered. This will be in uh, the War on Truth. A former uh, FBI agent. There's three FBI, former FBI agents now. Whistleblowers will tell you what what the game plan was. There's documents to show this is how they're how they break down these the January Sixers. They get to a certain point where they can't financially make it anymore. Their mortgage payments start to fall fall behind, and then they put more pressure, more pressure, more pressure, because what they're trying to do is force them in a way that they have no money, no legal help. They're going to just be in jail forever, like you see today, and they have to plead. So that they can say, hey, there it is. They did do it. They admitted to it. That's the game plan. It is in writing. And you have three FBI agents who swore oath to the Constitution of the United States 
to stand up and, and say the same thing. Pastor, um, that that is awful, and it's it is very similar to the same things that I'm hearing from others who are who are reporting on this very very closely. Um, what can you say about the treatment of those? And I think there's still around two hundred and some. I don't know the exact number, but two hundred and some or some who are still in the prisons, uh, spaced all around the country. Uh, I saw a pin map yesterday that showed all the locations where some of these J6 people are being held, and they're all being denied their their constitutional right to a a speedy trial. They're being denied access to counsel. Uh, Some of them have been been held for 800, 900, over 1,000 days without, you know, facing, being able to face their accuser or being able to stand before a jury. Um, What is your awareness of those folks? Yeah, there's many vigils going on on these. It's just, as you said, it's just obviously unconstitutional. It's inhumane. Where it's worse than uh, you know what we would do to a terrorist at Gitmo. Literally, um, it's just it's just un, so un-American. That's why we the people have to stand up. There's a prayer vigil that's been going on for over 360 days. It's Ashley Babbitt's mother, Mickey, who is a dear friend, uh, and uh, she, her heart goes out. She goes up to the one in Washington D.C. and they, they <laughs> President Trump has has, has uh, taped this and put this out a couple times. They sing the national anthem together. They pray together every night before they turn the lights off. Uh, we need to unite behind these people because we're, we're in our in our constitution. We're innocent until proven guilty. That's 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 where we're all about. And God, we trust. And everything's been flipped for a narrative to take our God the rights of God out of us. And that's what it all boils down to: is light versus dark. This is not Republican versus Democrat because there's Republicans involved in this too. It's light versus dark, and are we the people going to stand up for light and put God back in our country and get our Constitution under control, or we are going to be completely gone? Pastor David Scarlett is our guest with um, His Glory um, His Glory TV, and you can go to that website. I believe it's hisglory.me, correct? Yes, hisglory.me and also hisglory.tv. And .tv. How can people watch this 14-part series? Where can they watch it? They can see it on both. We want to get it out to as many people as we possibly can. Uh, www.hisglory.me and hisglory.tv. The, the modules will be on hisglory.tv. A new, docu- a, a new segment will be coming out every Tuesday. If you missed it on that Tuesday, you can go back from the beginning. There will be 10 episodes of this. Uh, Lara Logan and I will be talking today to uh, to see what more we can do because we're doing it to help save this country because if we let this go, we don't have a country. As President Trump said, they're coming after me, but you're next. And that is so true. And he wants people to stand down and fall into this, this, this their system. But we the people have to stand up for such a time as this. Yeah, that is exactly what they're hoping for. Um, uh, so uh, just to clarify, are these free to view on, on His Glory TV? Yes. Yeah, okay. it's absolutely free. And uh, again, we are a ministry and it costs us a lot of money. Nothing is free when you do this, but it is so important that it's not about making money. It's it's about getting truth out and saving this country. 
Well, that's that's great to know, and I you're, I 100% understand that. So I'm looking at hisglory.me right now, and I do see a link at the top that says watch, and I see another uh, on the other side of the page that says donate. So it is free. You don't have to donate, but if you do uh, support what, uh, what Pastor Scarlett and the other members of this organization are doing to try to bring the truth out and to try to protect uh, American citizens and our, our entire way of life in all seriousness, if you support justice and you can make a donation, uh, we certainly encourage that, too. Well, Pastor, I appreciate what you did and what you are doing, and uh, thank you so very much for coming on and, and shining a light on this. Uh, hopefully we can stay in touch. Maybe we can get in touch with Lara Logan and, and you as well and do a follow-up on this because it is worth all of the time that we can give it. Thank you so much, sir. Well, uh, Lara would love to help in any way, so we'd love to come back, the two of us together. Thank we'll you so make, much We will make that me. happen. We'll make that happen. Thank you, Pastor. Pastor David Scarlett there again. The website, you just heard him. It's hisglory.me. You can also go to hisglory.tv. Watch it. It's free. It's a 14-part series. Um, I'm sorry. It's a 10-part series. It airs uh, over 14 consecutive weeks. So it started on January 12th. So there's already a couple of episodes that have run, but you can watch them and then catch yourself up and see the new ones each week until they are run uh, or until they are done, I should say. All right, we'll take a time out here on this free-for-all Friday. And on the other side, we're going to go back to the State House. We're going to Columbus. We're going to talk to State Representative Brian Stewart about where things stand with uh, respect to some important legislation. The job wasn't done just because the SAFE Act veto was overridden. All right, the cavalcade continues now. It is 1035. Thanks for being with us. Thanks again to Pastor David Scarlett. If you missed that, you're going to want to hear that. You can do so about an hour after the show ends. Uh, it'll be uploaded to whkradio.com and go to the podcast page. In hour number one, we spoke with Jack Windsor, who gave us a little bit of the lowdown on what's going on uh, in Columbus with respect to some important legislation. Obviously, we are still celebrating the passage of the, or not the passage, rather the override of the veto of the SAFE Act, but there is a lot of work left to be done in Columbus. And with that in mind, uh, I reached out to um, State Representative for District 12, Brian Stewart, and he joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer, to talk about some of these important pieces. Representative Stewart, good Friday to you. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Bob. Always a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, we always enjoy the conversation. So let's talk about the good news first. Uh, The override, it was never really in doubt. I'm still shocked that one Republican uh, senator uh, held true to form uh, in Nathan Manning, who did not vote to override. He also did not vote for the SAFE Act. But the overwhelming majority of Ohioans, as evidenced by the overwhelming majority of Ohio representation in the General Assembly, knew that we had to protect kids. How do you respond to those who continue to call this a ban on gender-affirming care? Well, you know, gender-affirming care is kind of one of those leftist make-believe words that is designed to, you know, prop up what, if they called it what it really was, um, folks would recoil. You know, I mean, majorities of not just Republicans, not just independence. The majorities of Democrats agree that we should not be doing, you know, these life-changing permanent gender surgeries on minors. And they, uh, you know, I think that's why you saw such a swift and decisive uh, veto override. And, you know, I I really think Democrats are fighting a losing battle here. Uh, The public supports these reasonable protections on children, these reasonable accommodations for um, you know, women playing sports in our state. And uh, I was very glad to see the Senate join the House and get that done this week. 
Yeah, I was too. You know, and it's you're right. It is just a uh, it, it's a, it's a term that they created to try to demonize anybody who wants to stand in the way of their agenda. Call you this is gender affirming care. Well, gender affirming care would be care that affirms someone's actual gender, not this made up one, and not this self self identification that people are coming up with. Um, we're not denying people care. The way I try to explain it, and I'm sure you agree, is we're trying to protect kids from abuse. And child abuse is uh, illegal now. It always has been. And guess what? Uh, laying a kid on a table and physically mutilating their body because they have a confused mind is abusive. And all you and your colleagues in the house and the guys and girls, and um, that's right, there's only two, the males and females on the Senate side, all you did was affirm that, that we don't let children be abused. They cannot give informed consent to do these things when they're that young to start puberty blockers and to start that process. They cannot give informed consent, and anything done to them is, uh, you know, that again, that, that leads to their bodies being mutilated is abusive. I mean, who can oppose protecting kids from abuse? I, I don't know that I can say it any better, uh, Bob. I mean, it's, it's been a kind of a common sense uh, bill for those of us in the House from day one. Um, you know, I was a co-sponsor, you know, from day one. Uh, it, it's taken, you know, some time to get here. But, you know, this is important. And I think you, you see a growing number of states uh, going in this direction. You've seen a growing number of now um, you know, even federal appellate courts uh, upholding these types of laws to say exactly what you just said. We're going to protect kids. Um, you know, our governor doesn't believe that a 21, that a 20 year old, um, you know, infantry soldier like I used to be uh, can smoke a cigarette. You know, that, that, that they can't make those uh, determinations. And yet in the same breath, uh, we have folks that believe that, you know, a 14 year old can make a decision as to whether they want to, you know, have a surgery that makes them a lifelong patient. It just doesn't make any sense, and uh, this bill is long overdue. And very happy for, um, you know, Gary Click, who's worked very hard on this bill and taken an awful lot of arrows uh, to, to get a really important policy uh, achievement in this state. Yeah, very well said. We're talking to State Representative Brian Stewart, Ohio's 12th House District. Okay, um, let's talk about <clears throat> DEI. Senate Bill 83 was written... Uh, and sponsored by Jerry Serino, and it passed out of the Senate. And uh, I know there was some uh, work that needed to be done on it. They had to do a little bit of a markup on it, and uh, and, and and it came together with some some House rep- uh, House members, and and they put together what looks like a very solid bill to remove DEI from college classrooms, to remove uh, you know this this deeply divisive and quite frankly illegal because it promotes discrimination uh, policy from uh, from our classrooms. And it sits now in the House. I, 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 this passed last May. I just talked about it with Jack Windsor. It passed the Senate last May, which means it's been in the House. And again, notwithstanding the negotiations to strengthen the bill, but it's been there for almost a year now, sitting in the House waiting for a vote. And now we're told that there may not be a vote forthcoming. What is your understanding or awareness of where Senate Bill 83 stands on your side? Well, the first thing I would say is, Senate Bill 83 has the votes to pass the House on the floor, period. I don't know a single conservative that's against it. Um, This is a uh, Republican priority. It's precisely the sort of thing that voters elected a 67-seat Republican majority in the House to do. Um, But you just said it. You know, this, this, this bill passed the Senate a long time ago, and here we are, you know, a year later, you know, still kind of dragging feet and hemming and hawing. Um, this has kind of been a problem since January of 2023. And, you know, it used to be enough that 
if a bill like this had the overwhelming support of the Republican caucus, that was largely the end of the discussion and the bill goes to the floor. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, we've seen that uh, that's not always enough these days. And, you've seen, you know, this bill was in the, the Senate's version of the budget. Uh, House leadership took it out. Uh, this bill has passed out of the committee that it was assigned to. You know, I mean, uh, Chairman Tom Young has done a phenomenal job on our side. He has not accepted no for an answer. The committee passed the bill. And still now we have kind of this this rigmarole where the bill is getting re-referred to, you know, a committee that is that is controlled by leadership. So um, we need to pass this bill. We have one session day uh, before the March primary. And uh, if we don't get this done before then, I'm concerned that uh, that we see it pass at all. I'm worried about that, too. Um, one of the things that I heard today from a supporter of uh, Speaker Stevens is that the Speaker is worried that it's not going to pass, that the votes aren't there. Um, and as evidence of this, the committee was 8-6, and two Republicans on the committee voted against it, and that that might be indicative of not nearly enough support to pass this. And he wants to make sure that before he brings it to a vote, it will pass. It will not go down to defeat. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, let's be clear. The the only two Republicans who voted no on the committee are two of the closest allies that the Speaker has, right? I mean, the, the, if, if uh, sometimes votes aren't there because leadership does not want them to be there. But despite that, I, I don't know anybody who has a whip count uh, on this bill of under 50 Republicans. Um, and we've seen this in other contexts as well. Um, I don't know a single conservative that doesn't support this bill. And, um, you know, Typically, if something can pass the Senate with that, uh, you know, huge majority, uh, it can pass here as well. If this bill, you know, if the Speaker wants this bill to pass, it will pass. Have you had any occasion to speak with him about it? I've not spoken to him directly on this bill itself, but you know, on, on on other bills and just kind of general ideas of you know what our priorities should be. Yeah, I'm just wondering if anybody who is among the 50-plus that you're talking about that you think in terms of a whip count, if any of those individuals have spoken with the Speaker about getting this on, and and if he has expressed to them, uh, I'm worried that we're not going to have enough, uh, if that's the reality of it. Because I feel like sometimes the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing because there's just not enough communication. No, absolutely. I mean, mean, Chairman Tom Young has been in constant communication with the speaker's office. I know others that are on the committee. You know, I'm, not, I'm not on the committee that passed the bill, but I know that others who have been involved with the bill mm-hmm. uh, have met with the speaker. I mean, everybody's talking to each other. I think it's just, um, you know, are, are, are the things that are being said the actual reality? You know, I just, I don't know that anybody who seriously believes that if you, in this climate, Bob, when we have DEI on the run, you know, even at some far more liberal uh, campuses than than Ohio State, uh, we can't get this done in Ohio. This is how we push back against this DEI insanity. It's how we restore some intellectual and ideological balance on our public universities. It's how we, you know, give university leadership the ability to make reasonable reforms and actually, you know, have some quality control over their own staff. Um, these are things that Republicans broadly support, and so. The idea that, uh, you know, in a 67C majority, you can't find 50 votes for that. I just don't know many people who believe that. 
Uh, we're talking with State Representative Brian Stewart about House Bill, or excuse me, Senate Bill 83 that sits in the House now waiting for a full uh, House vote uh, to become law, which will eliminate DEI. We all know DEI has been, I, I think personally, Representative Stewart, that this is the best chance that we have to truly rid uh, our our university system, not just in Ohio, but around the country, of DEI altogether. It's more and more people's eyes were opened uh, to the threat and the danger of DEI by what happened at Harvard and Penn and MIT, and right. also and, and also what's happening right now with the airlines and the FAA, FAA, and they're all embracing this DEI hiring, and it's putting people in jeopardy in a lot of different ways. Um, so I feel like the time is right to, to take a stand here, and I want to read to you what Senator Serino messaged me with earlier this morning and see if you can agree uh, see if you agree with this. He said, right now the bill has passed the House committee. It has been presented in caucus by Chairman Tom Young in the House. We know it has well over 50 votes. It's a matter of the Speaker putting it on the floor, but this is the important part. This bill is even more important than when I introduced it, given what is going on around the country on campuses. DEI is being discredited more every day. Ohio has a chance to lead the country with this bill. Let's call on the Speaker to get it on the floor. I assume you agree with all that. I agree with all that. I really think, Bob, especially after October 7th, you know, in the in the tragedy we saw in Israel, uh, it's become even more obvious. You know, the, this DEI obsession on college campuses, you know, dividing people based on race, uh, it's not only toxic to the educational process, but it's all it's actually exacerbated and kind of protected this this vile anti-Semitism that we see on too many uh, campuses. And I'll give you I'll give you an example. It's no surprise that the loudest voices against Senate Bill 83 are those who are most committed to this DEI nonsense. You know, for, we have a there's a professor at Ohio State who, um, you know, is writing all the editorials and leading the faculty against Senate Bill 80, 83. After October 7th, he was literally sharing Hamas propaganda with the paraglider image. He was sharing posts that called Hamas quote our heroic resistance in Gaza. He was speaking at marches in front of the Ohio State House with a chance of you know, long live the Intifada and from the river to the sea. This is the kind of garbage that is protected at too many of our public universities. And so it's no surprise that those are the people who are most committed to trying to stop it. And if we're going to continue to have higher education be a, a, a viable choice for people, if we're going to you know, grow our state and bring business here, we can't have universities that tolerate uh, this kind of nonsense and, and and really it's a it's an inferior product that we're turning out if we're you know mandating that students and faculty you know uh endorse a certain political ideology in order to get a degree yeah uh, and, and it's more than just nonsense because nonsense is something you can just uh, just dismiss it it's just nonsense this is dangerous um can you identify are you allowed to identify that professor or uh do i have to look it up uh he's on twitter it's at red guju it's pranav johnny um blocked me a long time ago but i mean he spoke at these rallies you know we've done a lot of tweets about it there's other professors you know if you look at their feeds they're just three months worth of you know hamas talking points and you know and the you know really egregiously you know sharing these vile uh uh posts that celebrate hamas i mean that's not something you know i was asked you know i came back uh I came back from Iraq as an infantryman and went back to Ohio State campus. And, you know, I made the point the other day to some mm-hmm. folks, uh, I'd have to take a real hard look at that today. You know, if we're going to have Jewish students being intimidated on campus, mm-hmm. if we're going to have the student union taken over by, 
you know, people saying long live the Intifada. Um, I think people are going to take a long, hard look about whether that's where they want to spend their time. And that's a shame because we've had a long tradition in this state of having really high quality public universities. But uh, Senate Bill is how we, you know, kind of right the ship here. And it's important to get it done. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. And by the way, I found him. Thank you. Uh, his name is Pranav Jani. Uh, if I'm saying it correctly, it's uh, Pranav, P-R-A-N-A-V, and J-A-N-I. Uh, his profile says he, him, which is interesting. Associate Professor of English, Ohio State, Director of Asian American Studies, and a blah, bunch of other stuff. And his tweets are protected. His posts are protected. So the public can't see them. You have to follow him and get approval in order for him to, for, uh, to be able to view his tweets. And so Bob, Bob that, that change was made after I screen capped a lot of the tweets that were spreading the paraglider, the long, you know, long live the Intifada, and all that kind of content. That, that, that makes perfect sense, um, you know. And, and, but yet, his uh, his his background photo, his cover photo, if you will, is uh, one of the marches. Uh, Palestine will be free, and it's got all of the tablecloth head headdress wearing people, uh, and uh, and all again chanting their anti-Semitic slogans. But the rea- so back to the point at hand here. And and by the way, next time we chat, or uh, in fact, I'm going to ask you for those screen ca- screenshots that you took because they are not there now. Um, but uh, back to the point at hand here, if you want a student, or rather if a student wants to be successful at Ohio State University or any of the even more left-wing campuses uh, throughout this state, um, you have to be willing to, to agree with all of those things. You have to be willing to listen to it and regurgitate it back to these professors. And if anybody wants to give an alternative point of view, essentially they're not allowed to. If you give a, view that, uh, a point of view that is in with the, you know, what, what, what are either racial or, or ethnic or sex majority, you are silenced, uh, whereas if you are representing, quote-unquote, marginal groups uh, that are favorable to DEI, that is, of course, welcomed. And that is just wrong to do to our kids. I don't understand how that helps advance the cause of education or productivity for kids to be, uh, you know, to join, to, to join society when they get out. I think people should actually read, you know, the text of Senate 83 and look at what it's providing because it's very reasonable stuff. You know, I think we can all agree that, you know, students should not, should not have to, you know, affirm a particular political ideology to get a degree. We shouldn't have professors having to affirm a particular political ideology uh, to keep their job or get promoted. Um, one of the things of the bill, Bob, is it, it requires that, uh, you know, our public universities, you know, develop a three-hour credit course uh, on American history for people to take. I don't think anybody should graduate from a public university in the state of Ohio if they haven't been required to read the United States Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. I mean, this is pretty baseline stuff. Um, it's sad that we need it, but we do today, and that's why we need to get this bill passed. Yeah, I, I concur. And, and, and it has to be more than just um, a, a U.S. history class because it depends on who's writing it. You know, if they're reading the 16 or studying the 1619 project, that's a very, very different view of U.S. history than what real history is. And that's another element here that is of great concern. And, and by the way, you uh, suggest that uh, people should read <clears throat> the uh, bill and uh, what's really in it. I have a little bullet point summary here that I want to share. Prohibiting, here's what it does, SB 83, prohibits mandatory diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. Very simple. Um, allows tenured professors to be fired, which they should be, particularly if they're doing things like the one we just mentioned. Uh, modifies collective bargaining agreements, 
And I know that's as much as anything a big problem for the left uh, uh, in this in this state and in the state house. Requiring students to take a course in the subject uh, area of American government or history, as you mentioned, preventing professors from taking stances in the classroom on controversial topics, which include issues such as climate policies, electoral politics, uh, foreign policies, DEI, immigration, marriage, or abortion. And there's the core, because as you know. This is what these particular courses look like now. Professors go up there and they don't say, here's one side of the climate argument, here's the other. Let's learn them, let's, let's, let's discuss them. It's here's what's right. And if you say something that is opposite of that, you're done. You're not going to pass my class. That's the reality of this. Again, I don't understand how anybody could possibly oppose that and say they are actually for education. Yeah, I mean, I was in, uh, I was in higher education, you know, almost 20 years ago. And even then, you know, there was always, you know, a slant and, you know, you tended to know that the professor had a certain point of view, but it's it's just gotten even more flagrant. Um, and, you know, to, to have a professor say this is the way it is, um, it, it takes a lot to, you know, you want to pass the class, you want to get a good grade. And I think we're putting students in this position where um, they are you know, pressured to knuckle under and conform and, you know, play the game. And that's not what higher education is supposed to be about. 100% agree. And by the way, one of the, the other bullet points here is it requires course syllabi to be made public, uh, publicly available online so that every parent can see what their dollars, their tuition dollars are paying for their kid to see and be exposed to and, uh, and to have to deal with. So I think it's all common sense. So what I will do is encourage everybody, uh, after getting Jerry Serino's message and talking to you, contact the speaker. Uh, please ask him for a vote on the full House floor. There is no reason not to. It's going to have well over 50 votes. Uh, if that's the reality of the situation and the speaker still doesn't bring it forward, then we're going to know there's another agenda that he has. I don't know what that is, and I'm not going to cast dispersions, but I am going to say this is common sense. Get it done. Uh, the state has been waiting long enough for this. So, uh, Representative Brian Stewart, I thank you for your uh, insight and analysis of this and for your support as well. Uh, hopefully we can uh, uh, muster enough public support to get this thing done. Always great to be with you, Bob. You're a fine American. Thank you. God bless. You too. Thank you, Representative Brian Stewart. It's 1055. We've got a final uh, top of the hour news. And then the rest of the show is open, free for all Friday. You want to react to any of these things? It's there for you. If you've got something else that we haven't talked about yet, it's there for you. That's what free for This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz. On AM 1420, The Answer.
It is indeed all the way through. Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for being with us. It's eight minutes after 11 o'clock on this free-for-all Friday, the 26th morning of the first month, year of our Lord, 2024. Great conversations all morning long. You're going to want to catch those if you miss them at whkradio.com on the podcast page about an hour after the end of the show. You should be able to hear all of those things. So. This last hour is yours, or so last 45 minutes are yours, 216-901-0945, uh, So many other things that we can get into in addition to the conversations we have always had. But, of course, the lead story remains the invasion at our southern border. Thankfully, thankfully, red state governors joined Greg Abbott as we yesterday and on Wednesday and on Tuesday begged for them to do in the face of the Supreme Court's directive that the Biden administration has every right to cut the razor wire that Texas is putting down to protect Texans from the invasion. We said governors need to stand with Greg Abbott, and governors are doing exactly that. And for some reason, the audio is not audible. Not exactly sure why, but Kevin Stitt, uh, governor of Oklahoma, here it is. Uh, the governor of Oklahoma was on Fox and Friends. He was one of the 25 red state governors. Believe it or not, Mike DeWine joined them kind of toward the end to say we stand with Governor Greg. Us for Oklahomans, I think for most Americans, uh, th- this is just common sense. In Texas, there's 28 ports of entry, and it's already a federal law that it's illegal to enter anywhere but those points of entry. I mean, the last time I flew to Mexico, uh, I had to land at an airport and show them my passport. And so right. the fact that the federal government, Biden, is cutting razor wire, it just, it just makes no sense at all. And so, yes, we have the right to defend our country against invasion. And what else would you call it if you've got six million people coming through illegally? No, and six million, of course, is an undercount. Uh, it's it's roughly nine to ten million now. If you count the gotaways, the six million are only the ones that they know of for sure that they have processed in under the phony claim of asylum. Texas has a representative, a congressman named who's in the middle of this fight too, and I think what he has to say is very very important. And again, the audio glitch. Apologies. We'll get it here. Well, Neil, obviously, since I've been in Congress, I've spent the bulk of my time trying to elevate this issue, bring attention to the issue, and point out that it is terrible for Texans and terrible for migrants. And I just want to start this by saying yesterday, you know, I've been gone. I hadn't seen my family for a number of weeks, been out on the campaign trail. I came in in Texas, went straight down to Brackettville, Texas, yesterday, spent about three hours with ranchers, with local law enforcement, with sheriffs, local political leaders, uh, who are just just absolutely devastated with what's going on down in South Texas. And frankly, as much as I've tried to do for them, tried to be a voice for them, they're mad. They're yelling at me. They're saying, you know, we're tired of the, the, the rhetoric. We're tired of more words. And look, there's a lot of noise that is surrounding all of this with the razor wire now down in Eagle Pass. The fact is, I totally support Governor Abbott. 100% has my backing to do that and go further. But the fact of the matter is, we're still allowing thousands to pour into our country. Because they're just going around the razor wire and coming into ports of entry and other places. And the Biden administration is using parole and asylum to dump them into our country, which is upending our security, empowering cartels and allowing fentanyl and bad actors to come in between the ports of entry. So I applaud picking the fight. I'm glad there are Republican governors around the nation that are saying we stand with Greg Abbott in Texas. But okay, now what? Do you really stand with us? Are you sending the National Guard? Are you going to tell President Biden to pound sand that we're not going to follow whatever nonsense he's 
trying to force upon the people? Because it's not just Texas. The whole country is made weaker for this. So we've got to get serious about this. And my last point is House Republicans have got to stop funding the government that is at war with the people. And Senate Republicans have got to stop trying to cut a deal that has no chance of passage uh, through the House and no chance of actually securing the border. House Republicans have got to stop funding the government that is at war with the people. Chip Roy for the win. He is exactly right. Stop funding the government. Shut it down. Do what needs to be done. We cannot continue like this. Even if we do stand with Greg Abbott, as I said, we should and we are. The bottom line is 25 red state governors doing it. But the bottom line is they're still coming. And they're still coming in other ways. And Biden is ensuring that they can because this is their goal. One of those other governors working very hard to support Greg Abbott is Christy Noma, South Dakota. Thank you so much for inviting me to talk about this. This is incredibly important. And Governor Abbott has done the exact right thing. And I'll drive him more razor wire from South Dakota if I have to for him to do his job. What people forget is that governors are commanders in chief. We're responsible for the men and women of our National Guard. It's a heavy responsibility that weighs on our shoulders. And so we never engage our National Guard soldiers and those men and women unless it's incredibly important and if we feel that we have the constitutional authority to do that in this situation. Yeah, and and she's exactly right. Chief executives or uh, um, commanders-in-chief of their militaries, which is their National Guard in each individual state, uh, have the right to tell them what to do to protect the people of their state. But here comes the White House saying, we need to, and Corrine Jean-Pierre, the diversity hire, she's black and she's gay, if you didn't know, she uh, wants everybody to, to think that Joe Biden has the right to go in and commandeer the National Guard troops away from Governor Greg Abbott. That's exactly what they're calling for, and they're considering it. Uh, This showdown is going... I don't want to say this casually or lightly, and I certainly don't want to make it appear as if it's something that I support. I do not. But this has Civil War Part Two written all over it. It just does. If the White House rhetoric is followed up by action, which is sending... Um, military to Texas and then com- commandeering the National Guardsmen who are, who are following the orders of the governor of Texas, you will have a showdown. Because if I'm Greg Abbott, I'm surrounding the entire place with Texas Rangers. Good luck screwing with the Rangers. I'm taking Texas Rangers, Texas National Guard, Texas State Police, and everybody that I have to say we are a state in the United States of America, and our rights trump your federal uh, mandate. And they'd be right. I don't want a civil war. I don't want a showdown. I don't want Americans turning on Americans. But I'll tell you what, if Joe Biden is dead set on advancing this agenda, If he is absolutely convinced that this is what he wants to do, surrender the United States, its sovereignty and its security, and every American citizen is then put at risk because of it, then American citizens need to stand up and do what's got to be done. And I'm sorry to say it that way. I don't want it. I'm not calling for it. But I'm saying if this comes to it, where we either lose our country or we defend our country, then we defend our country. That's all Greg Abbott is doing. He's defending his state, which is a part of this country. 
and he has a right to do it. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Phil is in uh, Philly, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hey there, Phil. Go right ahead, sir. Hey, Bob. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I, I hope that a lot of people would understand this is uh, National School Choice Week, and there's been a lot of talk about that all over the country. But I know that President Trump uh, you know, takes what you say un- under advisement, and that maybe you could whisper in, in his ear. Um, as far I wish as- that was the case, because he would be doing things differently than, I, I than he is. He does. <laughs> I, but, but, you know, at, at the Democratic Party, the party of slavery, hate, division, and baby killing, if they want to keep indoctrinating our children um, with this national school board nonsense— why doesn't President Trump, and they want to codify abortion, why doesn't President Trump come out and say, listen, when I'm back in office, I'm codifying school choice. Every child in this country is going to have the right to, and their parents to send their children where they want to with their tax dollars. Well, he, tax dollars. he could encourage it, but he couldn't codify it or do it at a well, federal level. I wouldn't I, want him to because, again, I believe in states' rights. Just I like understand we, that. Just like you know, when, that, when but, Roe versus Wade was overturned, uh, it, 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 all it did right. was say it's no longer a federal matter. Each state can figure it out for themselves. And I think exactly. states states that fund their schools should have absolutely the right to do. Because you know, here's what I don't want. Let me tell you what the reason I disagree with what you're saying here, Phil. I don't want um, what is done in California which might be right for the left-wing Californians, and what's done in New York or Chicago to be foisted upon me here in the state of Ohio. I think people in the state of Ohio overwhelmingly are reasonable people who do believe that school choice is the way to go. So if it is something that a, uh, you know, a, a federal order is, is put in place to please the power brokers and the lobbyists in, in the big blue states, I don't want to suffer because of it. I want Ohio voters and Ohio legislators to be able to make up their own minds where their kids go to school. So I don't want it to be a federal thing. I want it to remain a state's thing. Sure. All right, Bob, have a great weekend, and Happy New Year to you, sir. Thank you, and God bless you. Appreciate the call. Thanks so much. Um, I, I hope that makes sense. I mean, I, it, it, look, if a federal codifying of you know whether it be school choice or any any other matter for for that for that matter um means that the big blue cities and big blue states are going to be able to tell the rest of the states what to do because of their outsized influence i've got a problem with that i want us to have our it's the same reason of course and i know i'm being very basic here and very uh, elementary when i say it's the same reason we have a, an electoral college because we don't want you know, the massive amount of the population that is, uh, you know, congregated in, you know, New York, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Chicago to tell the rest of the country what to do. I want the states to have the right to do it themselves. And school choice is absolutely something I support. And I want it to be uh, available to the to the parents of uh, and the students of the state of Ohio. Uh, Jack, next in Akron. Hi, Jack. Go ahead. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Uh, I just wanted to say is if uh, Trump is uh, our nominee, mm-hmm. I don't believe he's going to be running against Biden. I think Biden is going to step aside or be pushed aside. He'll be running against Michelle Obama, and he will definitely lose. She will get the majority of the black vote, the woman's vote, and um, eight more years of the Barack, Barack Obama administration in Washington, D.C. will be, have a devastating effect on our country. They'll get to pick some Supreme Court justices. They'll probably try and make D.C. and Puerto Rico states. I don't know if that'll work or not. Yeah. But they will um, fill every uh, 
Department, Department of Energy, Department of uh, Health, uh, you know, on and on and on, Department of Agriculture with uh, socialist bureaucrats that'll uh, make changes mm-hmm. that'll be uh, horrendous for uh, our country. That's I, my feeling. I don't, I don't, I don't know disagree. What you think of that. Yeah, I don't disagree with a single word of what you said, um, except just to ask a question, really, and that. If they run Michelle Obama and everything you just said is on the table, is there anybody who could beat her, whether it's Donald Trump or not? I, I, I don't, I don't think there's anybody who could beat her. Do you? Well, I don't know. I, I was thinking possibly of a, a Nikki Haley, but I don't really know. But I, I, but I think it would be a tougher race with somebody other than Trump against her. That's a really, really interesting question. I just, I just don't know. And the reason I say it's not that Michelle Obama knows anything about anything, but you're right. It would be the, you know, eight more years for Barack Obama. Barack would run it from, uh, from, you know, from the side chair as first gentleman, uh, and it would be the same exact thing that we got. I mean, hell, Barack Obama is largely running the Biden administration for the last three years as well, between himself and some of his other members of his cabal, quite frankly. Uh, but that is very, very appealing to the radical left to have Barack Obama calling the shots for for another four or eight years. I know that Trump or Haley or DeSantis or anybody else the Republicans could throw up there would be able to stop that, given uh, the narrative and the you know the media uh, machine that would be so for you know the whether they said it out loud or not uh, you know the return of Barack Obama to the White House because they loved him. You're right, and the other thing is. I think our adversaries see Obama as weak, and they will take advantage of the fact that he is weak. And I don't know if that would lead to war or not, but that's a possibility. It would. With him in there. It would. It would. There's no question about it because the same way, in the same way that Joe Biden is weak. Look, just just generally speaking, left wing Democrats, when they are presidents, uh, encourage or by by just their existence, far more of the bad actors around the world to take steps that they wouldn't take. You know, Putin went to Crimea when Obama was here. Putin went into Ukraine proper when when Biden was here. Putin stayed where the hell he was when Trump was in office. Uh, you know, same right. thing. I mean, they're looking for weakness, American leadership that is not committed to its security, not committed to the security of its allies and fellow NATO members and so on and so forth. And when, and when Democrats are in charge, that is exactly what happens. The bad actors. I mean, how many missiles did they did uh, Kim Jong-un test uh, during during the Obama administration? It was nonstop. And Trump came in. He went down there to North Korea, stood in North Korea sold, uh, uh, soil, rather, and and met with uh, uh, Kim Jong Un and showed him what strength looks like. And Kim Jong Un never lifted a finger for the rest of that time. So, well, there was a big article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday about North Korea and what they are planning to do and what they are starting to do. Uh, and it looks like they're going to um, possibly, possibly uh, invade um, South Korea. Well, Wall Street Journal yesterday in the opposite. If they section. don't, if they don't have the United States military to fear, and the United States military is in a very, very dangerous place right now in terms of manpower, recruitment, uh, uh, munitions, uh, all of it. Uh, we are in a very, very dangerous place right now. So it would not surprise me to see that happen. It would not surprise me to see China uh, go ahead and go into Taiwan. Uh, we're sitting here dividing how much of our resources we're going to give to Israel versus what we're going to give to Ukraine. If all of the, and not to mention military support, if if all of these other bad, bad actors decided to act at the same time, honestly, the United States would be stretched so thin because of what they've done to our military, we would uh, we would not be able to stop it. That's right. Just... Do you think that Obama will uh, strengthen our military, or do you think he'll cut back on the resources? I think he would run it the same way it's being run right now. 
It would be a woke military. It would be, you know, he shrunk the military. Look, we all know that, that uh, Clinton uh, uh, balanced his budgets largely by, by, by decimating the military. Bush came in after that and rebuilt the military. Obama came in after that and went back down to the pre-Bush levels. And then, of course, Trump had to build them up again. This is a cycle that we have seen play out again and again and again. Uh, and, and right now, the military is again. It's not just a matter of funding, but it, it is a matter of prioritization. And uh, so, yeah, I think another term of Barack Obama would would lead to the same military policies and spending that we saw the first time around. It would be decimated. God forbid. Well, okay, well, thank you thank for you, taking Jack. my call and listening to my views. Well, thank you for making the call. That's what we're here for. I appreciate it. God bless. Uh, Bob is in Parma next. Hey, Bob, go ahead. Hello, Bob. I, uh, there you are. have an idea here. I, I don't like to share this, but uh, have you thought about Biden actually allowing the illegals to legally come into this country, dividing us amongst ourselves so that we possibly do have a civil war or the brink of it. He declares martial law and there is no election. Um, That last part is the only reason I'm pausing, um, because... I, I absolutely believe the goal from not just Biden, but the left and from globalists who want to take the United States down, who know that taking it down from without is impossible, but it can absolutely be taken down from within through some of the divisions you're talking about. You bring in enough CRT, you bring in enough of this transing, you bring enough of this DEI, you bring enough of this uh, a demonizing of white people and straight people and so forth, and you create enough enmity and division that a civil war does happen, that riots break out all over the country. And I'm not sure martial law would necessarily be done, but but yeah, under those circumstances, whether that we don't have an election or they just create the conditions where everybody gets to vote by mail again, so that they can manipulate the outcome of the exactly. election, of the election, that is probably more likely. You know, and, I, and I do fear, that. I do fear those things. Yes, I do. My dad was in the army, and he always said, "United we stand, divided we fall." Exactly, it's exactly right. Your dad was spot on. Thank you, Bob. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. So since this is a free for all Friday, <clears throat> I'm going to just throw this out here. You remember when gay marriage uh, was was uh, ruled to be legal and constitutional by the Supreme Court, writing something into the Constitution that was never there before? completely activist decision because the Constitution never, ever, ever touches marriage. But they threw it in there. And those of us who said this is going to lead to a slippery slope um, were laughed at and mocked and called bigots and phobes, right? One of the things that I said was that if we depart from the standard accepted, but not written in the Constitution, but the standard definition of marriage between one man and one woman, what I told you was going to happen is they are going to then start changing all parts of that. What I mean is people assume that going away from one man, one woman meant you would go from one man to one man or one woman to one woman, and that would be the end of it. And I was on the air for years telling people, why do you think the only part of that they're going to want to change is the man or the woman? Why do you think they won't change the number? Why do you what, what why are you so convinced that they're not going to change one man one woman to two men one woman? 
two women, one man. Three and one, one and three, three and two. If you get rid of, and and the government recognizes marriages between one man and one man, one woman and one woman, there is no standard anymore, and they can change the number as well. And you'll have, uh, Karen, do you take Steve to be your lawfully wedded husband? I do. And do you take Beth to be your lawfully wedded wife? I do. Beth, do you take Karen to be your lawfully wedded wife? I do. Do you take Steve to be your lawfully wedded uh, husband? I do. Hey, Steve, do you take Beth and Karen as your lawfully lawfully wedded wives? Yes, I do. You, you, people laughed at me. People said I was crazy. People said that's not going to happen. You're inventing problems that don't exist. That's what I was told over and over and over again. And I talked about this for a very, very long time. That was the biggest danger here. It wasn't just about homosexual marriage. It was about getting rid of traditional definition of marriage, one man and one woman, in all forms, including in numbers. Every single day I become a bigger adding groups of three or more because, like, I get there are lots of people who are very happily single parenting or raising their children as two sons. That's great for you. But for those of you thinking about doing something different, I just want you to know, like, it is possible to do so because there is no representation of us, right? There's no bluey episode about the kid with three parents. But we're out here just doing our thing. And in our case, a single parent by choice teamed up with an existing couple. We decided to make a kid together and raising that kid as a group. You could be in a romantic couple. You could be three best friends. You could have more adults involved if you want to, so long as you're all committed to this child-rearing thing. And certainly it takes some extra negotiating, right? The more people you have, the more opinions you have. And we had to have some hard talks about things like who was going to be genetically related to our child and who wasn't. That was tricky. But also it was kind of just a moment in time in comparison to the 18-plus year commitment that is raising a human being and putting them out into the world. Thruples demand representation. For kids with three parents. Now, this isn't necessarily marriage yet, but I guarantee you, if they are going to go down this route, which was inevitable, thruples? A thruple. It's a word. Three parents raising the kid. How soon before it's, well, we want our child to grow up in a loving family, and we want to make sure that they know that their parents are married, so we are all marrying one another. How long do you think it's going to take? Every standard and norm is being deviated from. Every standard and norm of the nuclear family, of one man and one woman combining and procreating and raising their children in their household, all of it is being torn asunder. All of it. And you think it's just coincidental that it's not part of a part of a plan and part of an agenda to tear apart the nuclear family? You remember what the Marxists who founded BLM said, didn't you? The Marxists who founded BLM, uh, BLM said, we are trained Marxists and we do disrupt the nuclear family. It's part of breaking down the capitalist society in which we live and to replace it with a Marxist and communist society and Anything and everything that they can use to divide will make that happen. And that includes the tripling of marriages or the quadrupling or quintupling or whatever the case might be. This is all a part of destroying the nuclear family. I told you it was on its way over 10 years ago. When was Obergefell? I told you it was on its way. And, and now that we have accepted furries and, 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 and transing and non-binaring and twice binaring and, and non-conforming and, and all the other crap that they've come up with here, this is just par for the course. It's going along swimmingly, just as they planned. I hope you're paying attention.
John is in Cleveland. Hey, John, you're on the air. Fire away. Hey, Bob. I was Hi, John. wondering if you ever watched Get Smart as a Kid. I didn't like it. I, I've, I've seen it, of course. I know who it is, but I never, that was that one never really was one of my. I, I watched. Uh, I think the, when the when Get Smart was on, I was watching the Monsters. Yeah, well, great, another great show. <laughs> but anyway, you know, it didn't really click with me at the time. But you know, the two factions that were always out against each other, uh, you never knew what exactly their aims were. But you, the names of them were. Control was the good guys, and chaos was the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we're at now. You know, the, the good guys want some control over society, and, and the left just wants chaos and, and whatever they can do to bring that about. That is a very, very astute analogy. You're exactly right. That is that is very true. We are in 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 the midst of a battle between control and chaos, and the left is trying to say, with the story I just told, and thank you for the call, John, the story I just told kind of underscores that. Chaos is the goal. Disrupting every standard and norm that we have had in this country to build the greatest civilization for good, force for good in the history of civilization, uh, that's exactly what they're doing. Control and chaos. Nice Nice uh, pull there from the uh, Get Smart era. Let's go to um, Charlie. Hey, Charlie in Brownhelm. Go ahead, sir. Thanks for taking the call again. Sure. Yeah, I was going to talk about Bill Paxton. He was he was on with Tucker explaining how he got impeached, and it was exactly the way the Blue 22. It, you know, the Democrats joined with the Republicans that gives the Democrats power. It's a kind of a standard thing. But what you were saying about the marriage thing, and it's eight yeah. years ago, and it's that's what's created all this. We've got all this trans, transition stuff, all this gender fluidity. It's all because. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.